Right, who am I? I'm called Eileen Elmet. I'm part of the leadership team here uh, in the Oxford Church. I'm married to Keith. And my day job is I, I've been for several years helping schools plan uh, how they help children who are finding it difficult to learn. So that's what I kind of do in my spare time. I've got five children. I came by five children in quite, quite an unusual route. Three of them are my biological children, two daughters, and a son who has been living with the Lord Jesus since he was five weeks old. And then when my daughters got older, they brought two sons into my life um, over there. So I've now got five children, and I love having five children, and I've got four grandchildren. That's just my immediate family. But really, truly, I've got lots more children. I could reel off dozens and dozens of people who've got a place in my heart as my children. And I could reel off dozens and dozens of people who I look on as my grandchildren and who I love and whose lives I like to be involved with. Now, I'm aware that for some of you this morning, if you haven't switched off already... Don't. Some of you are thinking, this has got no relevance for me. No relevance at all. But you know, when the Bible spoke about children and families, it never spoke into our little Western nuclear family situation. That didn't exist. It spoke into a much wider, broader situation, into the community of God's people. And so this morning... When I'm talking about family and I'm talking about us and I'm talking about we, I'm talking to the community of God's people here. Whether you have children that you're responsible for immediately or whether you don't. Whether your children are grown, whether you've never had any, whether you're not even uh, in a relationship in a place where you can see that you would have children. We are all part of God's family and God's community. And what God says about children He says to every single one of us, so nobody switch out off, put your phones away. Uh, We've got some good friends who have a phrase that it takes a whole village to raise a child. And that sums up what I'm talking about. Uh, In many areas of the world, if you talk about my father, my brother, my sister, my uncle, my aunt... um, it takes, it, it takes ever such a long time to try and unravel what, what people are talking about because they'll talk about their father here and their father there. And you realize that actually the term father has a much broader sense. It could mean my biological father. It could mean my biological grandfather. It could mean my biological father's brother. It means whoever is being my father at the moment or whoever is my brother at the moment. And most areas of the world other than uh, Europe and North America where we've shrunk everything down, have an understanding of a much wider concept of family. And I guess all of us can think about people in our lives who are not within our immediate nuclear family, who've had a massive impact on us, uh, who have been family to us. So let's have a look, first of all, um, at God encountering a specific child. I'm going to have a look at the story of Samuel. Just set the background a little bit. Um, Samuel's mother, Hannah, was deeply distressed because she'd been married for some time and 
was not getting pregnant. And I know that that resonates with some people here, the pain of that. And she called out to God. She called out to God in her distress. And she said to him, give me a son, Lord God, and I will dedicate him to you for his entire life. We just dedicated Joel for his entire life. Um, And Samuel was born to Hannah. And true to her word, when he was two years old and he was weaned, she took him to live with Eli the priest. Now that is something which, again, it's very countercultural for us. It wasn't countercultural at the time, and it isn't countercultural in many parts of the world to, um, to have children live with other people. Um, for various reasons. And Hannah was carrying out her vow to the Lord and she took Samuel and Samuel was raised by Eli the priest. Now, Eli the priest was not the best father in the world. He had two adult sons who should have been following him into the priesthood and should have been ministering with him and they weren't. They were, quite honestly, they were a disgrace. They were dishonest and immoral. But um, Hannah left Samuel to be raised by Eli. And when we pick up the story in chapter 3, Samuel is probably about 12 years old. So, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not very visions, not very many visions. That word visions there actually means not very many people heard the audible voice of God. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he couldn't see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of the Lord hadn't gone out yet, so it was coming up to dawn. It was kind of, you know, that twilight moment uh, just before it's time to wake up. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. And the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down and stop bothering me. Don't wake me up. It's not morning yet. Samuel didn't, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He'd never experienced what was happening before. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli said, Go lie down. And if he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord called him again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then the Lord gives Samuel a really tricky word to deliver to Eli, the guy who has raised him and cared for him. Samuel gives him a really tricky word. And then it says um, that he has to deliver to Eli. And then it says, Samuel lay down until morning. I bet he didn't go back to sleep. And then he heard Eli calling. And he said, here I am. And Eli asked him to deliver the word of the Lord, which he did, and which Eli accepted. 
Now, the first point I want to make about children and God is that children are especially important to God. In this story, it is clear that God respects Samuel more than he respects the adults in the story. We've got a comparison with Eli's sons. Samuel was there ministering under Eli's instructions to the Lord, which is where they should have been and they weren't. The child's a star of the show here, not the grown-ups. That was countercultural. It didn't normally happen like that. Children were expected to stay in their place. If we look into the New Testament and we look at what Jesus had to say about children, the disciples said to Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is in Matthew. And he called a little child up, probably a young boy around about eight-ish, or it could have been a girl, we don't know. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As far as God is concerned, children are the greatest. Now, many years ago, 30-something years ago, um, we heard a wonderful saint from Basingstoke who's now died and is with God called Ron Trudinger talk about children being God's very, very important people. And he opened my eyes in a way that I had never, ever understood before. It, It was amazing. And he carried within him... If I could do anything this morning, it would be to take what Ron gave to me and give it to you. Because he put something in my heart about the place of children that has never, ever gone away. And his phase was children that are God's very, very important people. And the strut line for our Tyndale school is uh, God's VIP. Everyone's a VIP. Everyone's a VIP. Every child in that school. And God calls us to be like children. Children give themselves spontaneously. They're excited. They're overwhelmed with wonder and joy and wide-eyed appreciation. They believe the impossible. They believe the grown-ups in their lives can do anything, can make anything happen. They can, don't laugh when I say this, children can exhibit real servant-hearted obedience. Um, They give themselves from their very heart. They give all of themselves without holding things back. And they have faith. They have real faith. Um, Our our grandson, who is four, regularly says to me, my dad's amazing. And I go, he is, isn't he? And then I go, your granddad's amazing, isn't he? He goes, yeah, but my dad's really amazing. (laughs) There is nobody as amazing as his dad. And when when Jesus says children are the greatest... That's what he wants us to be like. Uh, Children are God's visual aid to us. We should look at children and remember what we're like. And Jesus goes on to say in this passage that if anyone causes one of these children to stumble, he will cause a millstone. That wasn't the little millstones that ladies used. That's the thundering, great, massive, huge things to be put around their neck. It would be better for them if they'd had a millstone put round their neck and they were thrown into the 
depths of the sea. That's fairly extreme. Uh, and I, every time I think of that verse, I think of what we're doing in our Western culture, particularly to children. I used to work in a school in Oxford, in a particular area of Oxford, and children would come in at four, having all of that stuff on my list, all that wide-eyed wonder, faith and expectation had gone. It was not there. They were fearful, they were anxious. They were aggressive, they were unhappy. And Adrienne's nodding, she worked in the same school. And it's because of what life had done to them before they got there. And I think of millstones every time I see that. There are a lot of millstones around. Uh, one of, uh, Jesus then goes on to say in verse 10 of this chapter, See that you do not look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And that was one of the verses that Ron, Ron, Ron preached on. And it, it was just a few weeks after our son had died. And that verse went straight into my heart. And it's actually what we call Jonathan's verse in, our, in between us, Keith and I, because it's what we had written on our son's gravestone, that God has guardian angels for his children that have front row seats in heaven. He's got guardian angels for the rest of us, but God's, the children's guardian angels have front row seats. And there's a sense in which God, uh, Jesus is teaching in this passage that we are all children before a father God, but there is a special place uh, for children in God's heart. Children hear from God. Um, Nobody was hearing from God. The word of the Lord was rare in the land and God spoke to Samuel. He spoke to a 12-year-old boy in an audible voice. There are lots of other examples in scripture. John the Baptist, before he was born, leapt in his mother's womb when um, Mary and Elizabeth encountered each other and Mary was pregnant with Jesus. As an unborn child, his spirit bore witness to what was going on. Mary herself was a teenager when the angel Gabriel came along and said, you're going to have the Messiah, by the way. Um, And she listened. Eli, in this story, wasn't switched on at all to the possibility that God might be speaking to Samuel. It took three attempts. And I just found myself wondering how switched on are we to the possibility that God might be speaking to our children and through our children. Or are we a bit Eli-like? There was a a lovely little girl in the church several years ago called Millie Williams. She's now a a teenager. And she got lost on one of our summer camps. And they sent out a big search party to find her. And eventually found her. It was was cold and it was damp. And she was at the far side of, of the site where she should have been. And her parents said, Millie, were you frightened? She said, no, I wasn't frightened. I was just talking to the angel that's been looking after me while I was waiting for you. Just chatting. When, when one of my daughters was five, um, she was playing upstairs and suddenly she came downstairs and she said, Mommy, Jesus has just told me he wants me to be a nurse. To which I could have said, that's sweet, darling. Shall we buy you a nurse's kit? I didn't. I said, I think you're right. And uh, she is now nursing. Um, God spoke to her when she was five. 
Children are used by God. They're often used by God to speak to adults. They're often used to carry difficult messages and they're often used to speak when nobody else is speaking and nobody else is listening. Think of Samuel. Think of Jeremiah the prophet. God, God downloads an incredibly heavy-duty message from, for Jeremiah and his first response is, I can't do that. I'm only a child. He was a child. Daniel. Daniel was a teenager when he got carted off into exile. He lived in an immoral, godless society that did its best to train God out of him. And he didn't let it. He stood up for God. There's a little slave girl, again, who was taken into exile, who said to the king, Naaman, if you go back to where I've just come from and listen to the prophets, you'll get healed of your leprosy. And he did. And I've had uh, a, a experience, I've had the privilege of countless, countless kids um, watching countless kids hear God for adults and transmit that message to them. Powerfully, powerful stuff, life directional stuff. And children are used by God uh, in a very, very specific way to silence the enemy. And this is what Jesus said. He said, uh, the children, he was, he was coming into the temple and the children were shouting out Hosanna to the son of David. They were calling out his praise and the religious people at the day did, didn't like it. And they said, can't you hear what these children are saying? Shut, you know, shut these children up. And Jesus said, I can hear them. Haven't you read, haven't you read in the Psalms? From the lips of infants and children, you have ordained praise to silence the foes, to silence the enemies of God. In other words, Jesus was saying, these children are here praising God to shut you up. Um, when the, 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 our church has a school, it, has, it now has connections with two schools. One is in Whitney. It's a, an overtly Christian school. And we, was, we had lots of opposition starting the school. And we were always being thrown out of buildings on a regular basis. And we were just about to be uh, thrown out of one set of buildings. We had nowhere to go. And the then principal of the school, David Freeman, uh, God reminded him of this uh, passage and of this psalm. And he collected all the children together and they praised God. They just released praise to God for the morning. And at lunchtime, uh, we heard we had a building that we could go into. And I'm absolutely convinced that the praises of those children silenced the enemies of God. Um, Now, in the light of all this about children, and there's so much more I could say that I haven't got time for, I would suggest that as adults in their lives, we, corporately, have a responsibility to provide certain things for them in order to build a stable platform on which this thing can develop. And I've got a picture of a stool because I've got four things and it's got four legs. And if you take one of them off, it'll fall over. Okay. So the first thing we need to provide for our children, and I'm not going to major on this in a big way. Uh, This could be a whole session in itself, but it's not. It's training. Training or discipline. Those two words are kind of interrelated. 
And the Bible has got lots to say about children. Now, as well as Jesus calling us to be like children and understanding all those amazing qualities of children, the Bible is very clear that children um, can exhibit foolish and inconsequential behavior. That they're not born perfect little sweeties uh, who are never going to put a foot wrong. Um, they don't need to be taught to make poor choices. It comes quite naturally. One of the first words my children and my grandchildren seemed to learn was, no. Not yes, of course, mummy. No. Comes naturally to them. And those, therefore, we need to train them. Um, if we look in Ephesians at something that Jesus had to say. Oh, no, sorry, not Jesus, Paul. Pardon me. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it's right. Honor your father and mother. And then he goes on to say, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, the interesting thing about both what Jesus says in Matthew about children and what Paul says here is that they raise the status of children well above the status it would have had in the cultures to which they were speaking. So as a, as a hearer for the first time, the startling thing would have not been uh, the obedience, it would have been the fact that fathers are also told not to exasperate or nag or grind down their children. So if anybody's tempted to tell you that you know what you're doing is oppressing your children's freedom and taking away their self-expression, they're wrong. What you're ushering children into by training and discipline is true freedom. Children are to obey their, their parents as the first step to obeying God. If children never learn to obey something with skin on, they will not learn to, to obey their father God. It's very important. And we're talking about heart attitude here. Now, little Samuel, he has woken up three times in the night with a voice calling his name. And he gets up and his response is, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And even when he's got a really worrying thing to deliver to Eli, as soon as Eli calls and it's morning again, it's here I am. It's a servant-hearted obedience. It's born out of relationship with boundaries. Now, this is where I need my sons-in-law. This is why I need to borrow Paul and Tom to just do something for me. And I hope they've worked out between them how they're going to do this. Because if not, it could all go horribly wrong. They're great, aren't they? Look. You think that's great? Them's my boys. <laughs> right, which one's doing what? <laughs> he's taking the leap of faith. Okay, he's taking it. Right, off you go. Off you go. Right, are you ready? Are you steady? No, you just close your eyes. You won't cheat, Tom. Right, I'm going to say, ready? <laughs> On my count. Are you ready? Ready, steady, go. Thank you. That's a good catch. 
It's a scare. Thanks, boys. If we don't, it's a scary thing to fall. It's a scary thing to fall if nobody's going to catch you. If we don't put boundaries in for our children, it's like falling and nobody catches you. Or if sometimes we put boundaries in, then sometimes people will catch me and sometimes they won't. How scary is that? I've seen so many children with no boundaries who are terrified. Terrified. We need to give our children relationships with boundaries. And within those boundaries, we can give them freedom of choice. You know, we had a discussion with, uh, with my grandson yesterday. We're going for a walk. I don't want to. Well, we didn't ask if you wanted to. We're all going for a walk. Now, whose car would you like to go in to get to where we're walking? You don't have a choice about the walk, but you do have a choice about something. So that he was happy about that. He could make a choice who to travel with. I felt when I was, I felt this morning when I was thinking about this, that there are people here who at this particular moment, God is putting a finger on something in your heart and your spirit because you grew up with critical and controlling, uh, with people around you who were critical and controlling. Those were the two words I had, critical and controlling. And uh, you feel that that has had an effect on your life. And you might even feel that you find yourself being critical and controlling too. Or you might just feel that you can't get out from under it. So if that's you, we'll, we'll have some opportunity for prayer. So the first leg of my stool was training. The next leg is instruction, which might sound very similar. But there is clearly in the word instruction... Uh, it literally means um, word of mouth. There's something about talking here, about using words. And if we look at Deuteronomy, which is one of my favorite, favorite verses, uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. On your hearts. Impress them on your children. Don't have a little chat and see how they feel about it. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Uh, now, in Jewish culture, that's often taken literally, and there are things on the doorpost and around the head. But we are called to teach our children. Corporately, we're called to teach our children to love God. He wants his words written on our hearts. He wants his words written on their hearts. He doesn't want outward conformity. He wants inward relationship. God wants our hearts And he wants us to have our children's hearts. Okay? We don't just want them to do as we say. We want their hearts in a way that God wants our hearts and God wants their hearts too. We have to teach them God's ways. We have to tell them our stories. Tell them your story. Tell them the good things God's done for you. Tell them the times when you got it right and tell them the times when you got it wrong. 
Tell them the mistakes that you made and what God taught you and how he redeemed you. Talk to your children. Take every opportunity. Don't we know that the enemy takes every opportunity with our children that he can possibly find? And if we don't take our opportunities, he will fill the gap. Our children need protection. They need the instruction of the Lord on their hands, their heads, on the door frames of our houses, on the gates of our communities. We need to work with God about what our children are doing, what they're learning, what they're thinking. It's about our home environment and it's about the wider world that we're in. We need to know the problems that they are encountering. I mean, so many parents and adults in a community who say, well, I don't really know what kids get up to these days and I don't know the words of that song there. Listen, I can't. It's all just noise to me. If we don't know what the problems are, if we don't know what's going on for them at school, if they don't know what's going on with their friends, if we don't know what's going on with their phone and their computer and the books and the music, if we don't know the problems, how on earth can we protect them? I really respect many, many parents in this church. I respect Jeremy and Adrienne. I respect what they've done particularly with their children and music. They've seen giftings in their children. They've seen their children enjoy music. And they have driven miles and spent money and taken them to concerts and delirious concerts and all sorts of different things and taken an interest in what the children are doing. We've got to give them alternatives to the rubbish. As a community, we've got to give our kids alternatives to the rubbish. Now, when it comes to technology, I'm completely out of my depth. You know, I think my grandsons have got a better grasp of it than I am. You know, I can switch my computer on and off, and I know how to send a text and an email. I don't know what I can make my mobile phone do when my mum and dad are downstairs and I'm up in my bedroom. I don't know how to access pornography sites. I don't know how to send threatening texts to my friends. I don't know how to to ask the girls in my school to take pictures of themselves with no clothes on so I can send it around the rest of the school. I don't know how to do that stuff. But you know what? Our teenagers do. They do. And if they don't immediately, then a lot of their friends do. Find the people who can help you. Tracy and Joe McCobb aren't here today, but... They were telling us a, a good thing. The, the internet in their house goes off at a certain time. Goes off at a certain time of night, and that's the end of that. And the mobile phone reception where they live is rubbish. So that's the end of the issue. <laughs> so they said, what, they said one of the reasons we chose this house was because the phone reception is rubbish. Talk to people who know. Find out. Find out how to protect your children. In our day, it was just the telly. And my girls will tell you the number of programs that we didn't watch, uh, the number of programs we watched together, and I made them talk about it. It was always the worst episode when your mum's watching it with you, isn't it? And you spend your life going, Mum, it's not really like this usually, honestly. But to talk about it with them. 
Children need us as a community to release them. Yep, go for it. (laughs) We need to release them into all these things of God that I started off talking about at the beginning. What do we expect for our children? Do we expect them to have a relationship with Jesus or do we think they're too young? My eldest daughter gave her heart to the Lord in a meaningful and lasting way when she was three. My second daughter when she was five. I did not patronize them by thinking, thankfully I didn't. It was nothing I did right. I just fell into it by accident. I didn't think that was sweet. How, How cute is that? They prayed a little prayer to Jesus. Ruth said, I want Jesus to put all the bad things I've done in the dustbin. And she meant it, and he did. One of my pet hates, when children come up and deliver a word in church and we go... Like it was some sort of cute entertainment. Our children are not entertainment. It's not cute when they hear God. It's powerful. The enemy's not clapping. God's not clapping. He's cheering. He's not clapping. Do we expect our children to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Sarah was filled with the Holy Spirit when she was five at school because another child had a word that somebody needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she'd, she'd been... Do, I'm going to embarrass her now. We'd been talking to her about being filled with the Spirit and she was very uh, anti and she just used to sit in, to, in bed going, I'm speaking in tongues. Banana, 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 banana. <laughs> But that day, uh, she was filled with the Spirit, and her teacher had to uh, do away with the first report she'd written and write a new one because the way she was had changed so much. Do we not know that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power and of love and of self-control? If we want our children to learn self-control, isn't it a no-brainer that they're filled with the Spirit as soon as possible because the Holy Spirit has power, love, and self-control? Just a thought. Um, We should expect them to be exercising gifts of the Spirit here and out there and at home. Because they can hear God, they can prophesy, they can speak in tongues, they can pray for the sick. Uh, My little granddaughter Lucy, when her dad had a headache the other day and her mum was reaching for the paracetamol, said, pray, pray. Uh, and she, she's, she's well into praying for Jesus to make things better. And she's convinced she had a poorly tummy and Jesus made it better. Expect them to be engaged in worship. What's Sunday morning for before they go out? Is it just for our kids to run around and wave a few flags and have fun and maybe keep out of our hair? I love it because you watch some of the kids really click into worship. Different ones at different times. Um, John and Sally's little girl, Emily. Uh, I, she dances. I don't know if you've ever watched her dance. She has a real gift. And every time I watch Emily dance, it does something to my spirit in worship. And there are others of our children, and I'd love to kind of see more of that. Expect them to speak to us. Sorry, expect God to speak to them and to us about their destiny. I've already talked about Ruth when God's speaking about her destiny. 
and expect them to engage with the word of God. There are loads of different things kids can use these days to engage with the word of God, starting from toddlers and going right the way up. Teach them that the word of God is the place to go. Um, Now, having all this expectation, I've talked about all the things we should expect. My question next to myself was, how are we going to do it? How are we going to make room for it? How are we as a community going to work together to find out what this looks like? Where are we going to get our wisdom from? Because we need wisdom to do this. And I just had a few ideas. <laughs> just a few. Um, the first three I'm going to bracket together. Our wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit, from reading the Bible, and from prayer. Is this the first place you go when there's a problem with your child, or is it mum's net? Is that right? Is that the right word? Do we think this has got nothing to say that's relevant to 21st century children and the internet's got the real deal? Just a thought. There were countless times when my kids were growing up when I didn't know what to do. Countless times with kids I've taught when I didn't know what to do. Countless times when I've watched families that I've been working with in the church and I didn't know what to do. And I asked God and he just gave me just that little word, just that little nudge in the right direction. The other thing I did, I, I didn't have a particularly good example. In fact, I didn't have an example at all, at all to be honest, of how to be a mum when I was growing up. So when I got to be a mum, I was a bit bewildered, to say the least. And one of the things that I felt was I needed to look at where I saw good fruit and plug in and get wisdom. And there was a lady called Mary Norwich around at the time. She's still around in Whitney. She had five boys. And I looked at those boys and I thought, I like you. You know, you're scallywags and scoundrels and all of this, but there's something that I like. And I used to go to Mary when I got difficult questions. I had a very dear friend at the time called Michelle. And I watched the way she was with her uh, little ones. And I thought, I would, like, I would like to be like that. I need to plug in. I need to learn from you. Can I suggest there are some cracking examples around church? And I'm going to leave somebody out and offend them, but I'm really sorry. But I look at Andy and Ruth O'Connell's kids, and I think, I like what I see. I look at Rich and Kate's kids, I think, I like what I see. I look at the Blakeys, I think, I like that. You know, they're older. They've, they've kind of gone away. You think, I like that fruit. I like that fruit. If you like the fruit, get close to them and ask them. Ask them. Ask them what they did, how they did it, what they do, how they sort the technology problems out, all of that stuff. Parenting courses. Listen, we've organized parenting courses and we've had three men and a dog turn up. We're not going to organize anymore. If you want a parenting course, ask for it bother us. If you want one, get together with your mates. Get together with some mates who don't know the Lord yet. Get a group of people together and come along and say, we want a parenting course and we'd like you to run it in our house and we'd like you to do this. What are you going to do about it? And we'll do it. 
but I'm not going to do any more unless anybody wants them. Because it's a waste of time. Parenting courses are not just for people who can't do it. They're for people who care about how it's done and want to do it better. Books. Choose books carefully. But there are some good ones out there. And people like Bev uh, and uh, our Ruth and several of the other young mums, Sally, have got really good books that they they recommend. Because they've recommended some to, to me. The extend of family, that's all of us. That's all of us. Uh, we always had folks through our house, and we often had people living with us. And we really tried to plug. We, we were very aware at a very early age of our kids that we could not be everything to our children. And we wanted to put young adults and other people across their path. I'm just looking at the gallants. They raised some cracking boys as well. Um, we wanted to put other people across their path that they could learn from. So we, we got them mentors when they were older. We had people living with us. This is what I mean about everybody. You know, you know the, the people in our church family who don't have direct responsibility for children, they're not just babysitting fodder. They're not just here to kind of mind the kids while we go off and have a jolly. They're part of all of this. They're part of this village that it takes to raise a child. So add people into your family. Let, open out your family. Spread it out and get people in. The Rileys raise good kids too. <laughs> okay. Mentors. I've said mentors for older children. Your personal pastor. What are you prepared to open up to somebody else about your children? Uh, Steve Thomas has been our pastor for many, many years. And I remember um, just after our son died, uh, Ruth was about three. And I was, Keith was walking her along um, a wall. There was a bridge going over a river with a stone wall. And Ruth was walking along the bridge holding Keith's hand. And the river was, was down there. And I was terrified. I was scared. And Steve said to me, I mean, if you live in fear, Ruth will live in fear. You need to stop it. Now, that was a tough thing to say, wasn't it? He could have said, poor Eileen, she's just lost one child. Of course she's going to be worried about losing another. I didn't need to hear that. What I needed to hear was, if you live in fear, your daughter will live in fear. And we've given him permission to say anything about our children. Um, He also said something along the lines, if you you don't start taking that young one seriously, now she's little, even if she makes you laugh when she's naughty, uh, you're going to have trouble when she's 16. (laughs) (laughs) We listened to that as well. What we prepared to open up to other people. School, we've got lots of choices. We are so so rich. We've got the King's School. We've got Tyndale. If you don't want any of those doesn't matter but wherever you choose to send your children to school find out what's going on there support the school pray for the teachers get on the governors get on the pta don't send them off in the morning and collect them in the afternoon and not think about what's going on in the middle what about sunday morning i've said a bit about that what about gathering our children together 
and helping them worship God? What about stopping them when somebody's prophesying, not letting them run around, but getting them back with us and saying, now listen, Graham's just heard from God and he's telling us all what God said. We need to listen. I'll explain what Graham's saying. Is God saying anything to you? Not get them, engage with them. And then we've got kids and young people's groups, and I am immensely grateful to people like Al uh, and Stuart who look after our young people and who care about this community of young people. Lulu, who's taken the trouble to bring flags for our youngsters to worship. Uh, That's a blessing. So, just to bring this into land before we get the kids back. God takes our children very, very seriously. They're his very, very important people. The world takes our children very seriously. They're a lucrative market waiting to be exploited. The enemy takes our children very, very seriously. They can do him a great amount of damage and they are the future of the kingdom. Eli took Samuel seriously, eventually, and received a difficult word from him. Two questions for us as a community. How seriously do we take our children? And what steps are we going to take? What steps are we all going to take to move things forward? To really, really put our actions in line with God's heart and take our children seriously. Seriously.